Um, thanks a lot. This is, uh, this is fun. One of my favorite things to do uh, is to talk about um, missiology, how we plant churches. Um, because we, we basically, what happened is I, uh, I came out of this little church. We had a, a youth group, uh, and it, it turned into a college group that then started doing missional work in inner city Houston um, with most of the Latinos. And the church that that was part of shut down. Some of you may have heard of um, Redeemer Episcopal in Houston, charismatic Episcopal church. And I say that that means it wasn't very charismatic and it wasn't very Episcopal. Um, But it is where we went to church. And we had this group. And I said, you know, finding a group that wants to go and is willing to work is really hard. I want to plant a church. But I'm a lay person. um, And I've been doing ministry for 15 years. So I call up uh, England 1000. And I say, hey, I want to plant a church. Uh, but I'm not ordained, what can I do? And they say, well, Paul William Beasley. So I do, and I, say, I tell him what's going on, and, and you know, he knows some ordained people in the area, and he connects with them, and I, Bishop Clark is one of them, he wasn't a bishop then. Um, and we connected, and they said, yeah, go for it, let's, let's see what you got. So I um, started doing that work, and playing a church with all young people in, in an apartment complex, and that moved to a uh, uh, a, a, a non-AC warehouse that quickly moved in the summer to another church. Uh, <laughs> First Evangelical Lutheran made this beautiful Gothic cathedral that we were meeting in, um, and then back into our area of town in the city. Um, but that's been, we've actually had like four churches in that period of time, every time we moved, every time people grew up and changed, and so now we have mostly families and kids, and uh, we have a building that's now right on uh, I-45. Um, but you know, you start out with some ideas. When you're when you're sitting there and watching people up here, like, it ought to work this way. It ought to be better. It ought to do this. It ought to do that. And and so I was willing to put my authors to to work. And I found that about half of them was me being a poet. And the other half was, hey, there's some there's something here. Uh, there is something that it should be different. Um, but but maybe you learn the reasons why it's not different, how hard it is, and what things are there. And, uh, and so actually, even in the seven years of starting Greenhouse, um, we've learned a lot. And, and really what, what Greenhouse um, was, was uh, early people leaving the Episcopal Church, getting connected with Africa, and seeing that they just do it differently. That what's normal for them is radical for us. This is just how they do church. They send out lay people to, to gather people in towns. Um, they, they keep them under authority. They're deeply connected to authority. This idea of like a lay pastor that's running around doing whatever they want to do, that doesn't exist. Um, that's how we would see lay pastor a lot of times. But, but that's, that sense of entitlement is not exist, doesn't exist there. And they go and they, they run around and they, and they do this work and um, people evaluate. So this is actually what, what, uh, what Scott was talking about. The net is just normal for them. Uh, people's opinions about what a lay person's doing, they get shared, they get talked about, he's doing a good job, he's a little bit arrogant, he's this, he needs to get deeper Bible, whatever it is, that's getting fed back. And actually, they don't see the seminary there until you've planted a couple churches. One of the, one of the famous stories uh, is Williams saying that about a, a guy who at that point was, I think, an archbishop. And he says, no, 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 Lee. they didn't let me plant churches until I planted two churches. And then they let me plant churches, and I planted two more, and then they send me to seminary. And so, then it, actually, if you're going to be a bishop, then they send you to a Western seminary, whether it's here or you know in Europe. And so they have this sense of um, matching the, the calling and, and the context with the training and authority and, and all of those things. 
So they had set the bar lower for the entry into ministry from the standpoint, from our standpoint, it would seem lower. But the authority level is, uh, and accountability is much higher. So in our world, we set the bar high, and if you get over the bar, then the, the accountability typically goes down. Hey, you, we, we did all this work to discern you, we got you a collar, go, don't mess up, please. Right? Um, and so, uh, and that could be a lonely place, as some of you guys could attest to. But in this world, um, they start yelling, okay, great, do it. But everybody's going to be watching. It's normal that the people, your peers, will um, be assessing you. The people below you will be asking them questions. We'll be assessing their fruit. You know, the fruit of godly preaching and teaching and leadership is godly fruit um, over time. And people above you will be doing this, and you'll be doing this together. So um, this is a totally different way of looking at how to do this. It's a different culture. And so when we first started going out and saying, hey, we want to do this thing with lay people, we think this thing, here's what's wrong with the other way, and here's what we have, what we've learned actually is that um, when we critique the other way, the, the church I grew up in, we were actually critiquing um, the, the, the poor version of a very good thing, um, and as, long as, as well as some things that need to change. So I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'm going to hold this up for you. You can look at it in more detail. We used to and still do have this little graph called the three paradigms. Church I grew up in, church planting model, and this uh, regional multiplying net. Now we're going to be in the regional multiplying net, but as, we, as we've talked about things, we can say things like, well, the church I grew up in is um, governing board and committee center. Right? And so that in, in, in the multiplying net is ministry team center. So the implication there was was that vestries were, were kind of stifling ministry, but that these, these out-edge teams um, go and do the work, right? We talked about, like, deciders and doers, right? And we need the doers helping, you know, empower the doers to do the work. But, uh, but that, we, we, I found, that we were critiquing something that was, we were critiquing the poor version of a vestry, right. not the great version of a vestry, right. not the godly version of it. Um, and we were probably uh, too eager to look at the, we were thinking about the great version of ministry teams. So the first thing I want to do is share um, something that was shared at assembly uh, that gives us a, a, a holistic paradigm to look at how what I'm about to, sh- what we're going to share with you is the Pauline way of looking at the world and what the gifts are there and what the gifts of the church are um, without um, losing uh, or, or actually even vilifying the Petrine view of, of church planting. So we're going we're gonna to use this construct of the Pauline the Petrine, and in scripture, you'll see it there, it's a rough outline. It, it's, we're, we're troping each of them just a little bit to prove a point. And then the hope is to show you how the whole church, working together, does both of those things. And then I'm going to spend time on Pauline method- methodology, how we think about things differently, because we have great resources already for Petrine, um, those resources. That's we have lots of ways to do that. What we don't have in, in the West, in the U.S., is many um, uh, Petrine ways, sort of Pauline ways, many um, sort of go out there and get the Gentiles, do what it takes, that are also bound by the reality of our, our Catholicity, that are bound by uh, deep doctrine and scripture and our connection to the whole church. Most of the time, those guys have been out there running and doing, you know, whatever, with no accountability. So um, the African church sort of 
I say effortlessly, but, but in its natural state, understands both, typically, and knows how they work together, and knows what their strengths are. They would not put a Pauline guy in charge of the Nairobi Cathedral. <laughs> They're going to get a beautiful, godly, you know, Petrine guy to do this, right? So let's, let's look at this just a little bit. And this was shared, and you can look at, um, this was shared by uh, Bishop Stewart um, at the assembly uh, with, with William Beasley. Uh, and so what, what the little story there, the short version of that, is William Beasley is a deeply Pauline, uh, a frontline, you know, person. So the, the kind of conversation they would have as Stewart, um, who was actually mentored by Canon Beasley, Bishop Stewart, um, is working on planting and, and, and growing a 90,000 square foot building, a plastics factory, into a church, refitting it, and that takes so many meetings, so many decisions about carpet and all these things that we say, oh, that's so silly, what are you doing, right? But it's a beautiful place, a place for people, the people of God to gather. He's working on this, and someone comes along, and we, we suspect it's William, I don't know who else to talk to, he's like, maybe someone like me, because you know how we are. But, um, says, hey, there's a apartment complex down the street. Have you started something there? You know, it's like, no, we're kind of busy here. You know, we're we have to make sure that the parking lot's right and that this is right and that the safety things are met because we want to gather the people of God. But why don't you go do that? So, so the, the idea is the characterization, and it is a little bit of an over-characterization, is that the, the Pauline ministry is a ministry to the, to the circumstances. To the people of God who know scriptures are inside the church and they need to be uh, uh, gathered together and sent on mission. And it's thinking about those things. I have some, it's more establishment, um, it's typically more centralized, it's more goal oriented. So as we think about this, let me bring this up. Did and you say that's the Petrine or the Pauline? We're going to get, sorry, I, I, there's a chance that I might use them the wrong way. So what's going to be fun <laughs> is, is your test will be to know which one I'm actually talking about no matter which one I say. So um, we're just going to say Paul, right? Uh, and Peter. Okay, so Peter, Petrine churches, are our goal. I have this written down here. This is really a great place to have a, 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 a PowerPoint. Um, they're focused on goals, and, and so we have a goal. I'm going to build um, a church. I need to have meetings. I need to figure out what it's going to cost. I need to get the right people. I need to go do that. Um, Pauline churches are more adaptive to situ different situations on the ground and to needs. So I'll give you an example. Um, I'll just put needs here. Uh, Petron Church needs a position filled in, in child care. They write out a whole thing about what that person needs to do, and they open it up on the internet, someone applauds. And they say, I, I like that kind of stuff all right, but I also, I really feel called to the homeless. And the, and the, the, uh, the Petron Church says, hey, you, that's great, God bless you, you're not a good fit for us. You know, we'll, we'll call you. The Pauline Church says, great, I guess we're doing a homeless ministry instead. Right? You're a home, you like to work with homeless. We need a, that sounds good. Let's, let's go do that. Right? I mean, that's, I mean, it, it's a, it's a chasm. It's a different way of looking at what's going on. But it's not a wrong or right way. Right? 
And that's the thing that is thinking about the ministry you're going to be doing in here. You're going to be doing some Pauline things, in it, but, but in a world that basically was trained to be deeply petrified. And we don't, there's a false dichotomy to say one is absolutely right and one is absolutely wrong. What, what the African church has done and what we hope to do is to become very good users of all the tools and discerners of when the right things are and, and blessers of both. Um, so the, the Mark, yes. Is, is the assumption in this example of the homeless uh, proposal um, one who's coming from outside the congregation? Um, yeah, yeah, that would, or either way, actually. So it's, it's a great question. Um, sometimes, hey, we're getting interns. We don't have uh, our church, which is deeply calling. We don't put out this is the kind of intern we want. So you want to be an intern, and we interview them, and they say, this is what I want to do. And we go try to build a context for them to do that ministry. right? And we'll say, you know, 10% of your time can be doing something you don't want to do at all, because we need this. But let me work this to you. Or, hey, this is a really complicated thing. I don't know if you have the character or the skill set for that. Start here, and we'll assess you for that, seriously. Um, but that happens inside the church as well as outside. Yeah. So a, a Petrine church, the, the grumble will be for people who are gifted by God inside a Petrine church is, well, I'm, they don't really use my ministry, right? I want to do this thing, but they're kind of focused on this, and they're good at it. Right, uh, and I'm just—I like here, and this is the closest church, but I don't really feel like I'm getting my my gifts used, right? Um, and so, the, in the Petrine leaders will say, "Well, find something that we do and get involved, serve." Right? Um, the the Pauline church would try to help that person, but they could easily get into a place where there's so many different things that they're not doing any of them well. Um, that that person fails because they're not properly supported with trained. If Petron would say, hey, I'm not going to let you go unless you're trained or you got to support it. And so you have this, this range. And so what we're, the case I'm going to make is that we need each other desperately. Um, that that, that the, uh, the Pauline, this is the case that, that Bishop Stewart makes, is that the Pauline without the Petrine becomes sloppy and chaotic. And the Petrine without the Pauline uh, becomes centered and centralized and rigid. Um, but that together they do something really quick. So, um, again, uh, a petrine is, we say, to the circumcised, uh, just generally speaking, people who are in the church. So people who are thinking about planting a church for, say, existing Episcopalians, <coughs> hey, they're out there, they're not gathered, they're not around the table, they're not in fellowship, I, I want to go get them. How do we do that? Well, let's get a, let's get a vestry together and plant a church, right? Uh, the the Pauline typically is saying, but what about their kids who don't go to church anymore and don't believe because they were part of an unbelieving church and they're out getting tattoos and whatever else? I want to go get them. Right? <laughs> You'll see there'll be a difference in the budgets on these two churches when they're. <laughs> uh, the Petrine is characterized by slower development. And what we say this is, is the Petrine builds and then after a solid building, they catalyze, which is our. Greenhouse buzzword. We play greenhouse bingo buzzwords, which we can. Catalyze is one of our favorites. It's, we have a solid base. We've got some discipled people. They're worshiping in the glory of God. We've got some budgets. Let's go be dynamic. Let's go reach out. Let's have a partnership with the, with the, with the school system that then changes the whole school system. And we're going to hire a person and we're going to support it. It's thinking along those lines. The, the, the Pauline catalyzes and then builds. They're going to say, hey, let's talk to the schools. 
Let's find out what's going on there. Oh, there's a need. Let's go help that. Let's go find some people. Let's use that need to draw some people in. God's going to bring some people to serve this need. Right? And then out of that group of people, we're going to build something. We're going to, we're going to start to think about buildings and budgets and things. But we'll figure that out. Let's gather some people around the mission of God. You know, sort of ground level. Does that make sense? These two different... Um, and so I'm going to do shorthand here. Um, Petrine builds first and catalyzes later. But Pauline thinks about catalyzing and then builds off of that. Peter's staying in Jerusalem. He's gathering the people. He's preaching. He's discipling. Um, Paul's out there running and gunning. Let's, let's go preach the gospel for a week, gather some people, leave some leaders, and move on to the next. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, characterized overall by the, the, the Petrine, in some sense, is slower. If you go to the Petrine church planting team, they're going to say, hey, we've got a long run time. We're going to plan, we're going to build a team, we're going to get them together, we're not going to watch until we get to 50, right? We're going to get stable. Okay. Um, and then the Pauline is like, well, then we got five. Let's, let's start with the services. Right? And, and we have, we have um, absolutely, historically um, vilified the other in our way of thinking about it. We have to not do that. We've got to repent from that. There's no reason why Peter and Paul blessed each other. Peter says in his, in his letter to, to into Asia, my dear brother Paul says some things that are hard to understand. Right? He confuses me a little bit. Here, I get it. But listen, he loves Jesus and he's doing this and he's sent by the Lord. So listen to him. Right? And, and Paul takes the time to go to the heart of the, of, you know, go to Jerusalem and say, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing this in vain. The humility. Did not say, ah! Right? I don't need these guys. They're doing their thing in Jerusalem. You know, the love and the humility that was shared there. They are different cats. And they're, and they're, and they're different for the glory of God. And so we want to see, you know, in this world of, of, of what we understand as Petrine, we want to be able to do the Pauline right alongside the Petrine. There's no reason that those should be two distinct worlds. Um, because you could plant a church using the Pauline method, and it could turn into a very Petrine church. If the right people show up, you know, and say, this is my church, we love this here, you could end up having a church that runs very much like that. And, and normally there would be this deep kind of conflict, what kind of church are we going to be? We were for the, you know, we're not reaching the, 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 um, the downtrodden as much as we used to. We're just getting existing Christians, right? As if that were a bad thing. As if gathering the people of God into the, the full glory of God with some kind of, like, less than. And so for this, for this reason, this is how we bless each other. The Petrine needs to hear from the Pauline what you're doing is really a mission. It counts. Reach the people of God, disciple them, gather those beautiful families up, make sure they have all the tools to keep their marriage together, uh, make sure they have the tools to, to raise their kids up in the faith. Nothing wrong with you are. This is absolutely a mission of God. What the Pauline needs to hear from the Petrine is, this is really the church. Five people gathering together in a coffee shop and, and around the table, that's the church. You count. <laughs> You're with us. 
it may, it may be uh, not my kind of church. We've had some people come to Missio Bay say, I love what you're doing. I would never go here. You know, but I love what you're doing. <laughs> it's very common. Um, and so, yeah. I think probably Isaac said that to me. <laughs> it was great, but I would yeah. never do it. <laughs> not for me. And listen, I'm doing it and thinking, maybe I was wrong. You know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, this is uh, a lot of work. So, uh, here's a few things that we have in common. Some distinctives, and there's more of them, but but there's some things we have in common that we have to not miss. Because sometimes what we have done in, in this sort of, hey, Pauline model, hey, we're doing this, it hasn't been done, we assume that everything good that we figured out was somehow unique to the Pauline model, right. but wasn't a reality of, of actually the full Catholic Church being, being you know, God. And one of those things is um, we absolutely believe, this is, I'm just, this is all Stuart stuff, okay? I didn't invent this. I just, I just got it from the first second I heard it. Is a call from God. Leaders don't lead without a call. This is not our church. This is his church. And so this idea of discernment is absolutely deeply ingrained in both. We have different ways of reaching that discernment. Um, but, but it must be there. It's God's seed and it's his growth. The second is um, we absolutely committed to growing the church. Um, the, the, the Petrine in its, in its brokenness can get very, hey, we got the people we need. This is beautiful. We got the programs. We're here. We're not thinking about growing that much because we're, we're good. But we all know age gets to all of us and all of those beautiful churches. If they don't grow, you know, he's the vine, right? Must be. But we also know Pauline churches can be very happy. Hey, you know what? We got 25 people. We're edgy. We're, we're accepting. We don't want to get, right? But we don't have that option. It's not our church. The gospel must go forward. More people must know. And actually, the discipleship of the people in the church is absolutely contingent upon whether they reach new people. There's no full discipleship without, without evangelism, without reaching new people in the lost. Um, and so we're both committed to growth of the church. The other thing is, and this, is, this was the one that sort of, that I, that like stung me a little bit. It's, it's what helped me realize that, that I was uh, just a little bit too full of myself in this model um, and it, because it was said by Stewart, who is the Petrine guy, he says, we're both absolutely committed to the early release of leadership, the later ordination, and uh, uh, after fruit is established, and a rigorous uh, biblical understanding. So the, 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 the poly model, the lay model where you're sending people out, doesn't lower the standard for good doctrine. We're not letting people go out and just say whatever they want. What we're looking for someone is to know when they can speak and when they should. Right, here's what I know. Here's what God has given me. I'm learning these things. Hey, that's a great question. Let's let's ask my bishop or this other rector, or let's bring this person in. Um, but but by no means uh, not being held to a rigorous Bible standard. And the other the other thing is the example I just gave you: the low bar for entry with the high uh, accountability. Um, that that the Western model was the reverse a high bar for entry and low accountability, is a broken, ungodly, unbiblical version of the Petrine. The idea, I mean, we, have, we believe in bishops, priests, and deacons because we believe in accountability. We believe in authority. And, and the idea that we would um, ordain somebody, this, this thought that we'd ordain somebody just because they got their, their MDiv, well, that's a broken version of that. We left that. It's, it's that and so much more, right? 
And so that I go, oh, you know what? Yeah, we're not putting people who believe that people should actually be good at their job to make them priests, right? Just because for so long it, it, it happened, didn't make it the, the, the godly Petron model. So we absolutely both believe in that. And I'm not going to write that there. But the early leadership, meaning we're releasing people to minister all the time. The difference between the Pauli and the Petrine is the Petrine knows the ministry they want to release you to. Here, you're going to work with the men. You're going to work with the youth. You're going to do this. The Pauline is like, um, you're going to work at the skate park and see what happens. And if that doesn't work, we're going to send you over to the old folks' home and see what happens. Right? And we're going to discern your faithfulness and your accountability to doing something you like to do that you don't like to do. But both are trying to figure out if what's your gift is. Um, they just do it a different way. And the last is um, uh, that, that Bishop said and, and must say, um, clarity about issues. Yep. Uh, so how would you language the one underneath clarity about issues? Um, I would say, would say early leadership. Early release? Yeah, early leadership. leadership. Yeah. Okay. Um, someone has a gift and you release them. Later ordination after fruit. Those are the key. That, that everybody is looking for discerning fruit. They just have different ways of doing it. Right. Um, and the implication, the way we used to talk about it, implied that people were being ordained without fruit. And, and that's something that we, you know, I missed the first six years of it until I heard this message. Like, oh, that's, that's, yeah, of course, that's crazy. Um, so, and then rigorous Bible. So that's really, it's like four things, but I, you know, it fits there. But clarity about the essential um, issues of the day, the doctrines of, of biblical doctrines. And so uh, teaching about sexuality, teaching about all kinds of things, the, 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 the accusation and what can be really true of a Pauline movement who's trying to go into the culture, trying to really connect, trying to do something different, is they might start um, hedging about how they talk about certain things. Uh, and I'm not saying contextualization, that's all day long, right? <clears throat> but, but at the end of the day, we can't be weak about what the Bible's not weak about. Um, and, and so um, that might cost a Pauline person some people, uh, and it will, it costs all of us people, right? To, to, be, to be certain about things the Bible's certain about. Um, and so th there's that perception there. We, he wanted, uh, you know, the bishop in this case wanted everyone to know that we weren't going to, um, that, that being on the front lines didn't mean not being fully gospel. That we didn't, we weren't, it wasn't a secret thing. It was about the way we think about how the Holy Spirit's working. And both very valid. So I, I tell you all this to present to you a little bit about what life is like here in the Pauline. What it feels like to be a Pauline guy. Uh, how I think about things and how we grow, we grow friends. So that you can begin to see with some of those eyes and begin to bless some of those works that way. Um, and then so that at the end, all the things that are, are of the church can happen. The net is not calling or Petra. We used to talk about the net like it was like a thing that Greenhouse invented, right? You know, but um, the net is just how, that's what a diocese is. That's what we're, we're called to build, right? Um, so let me erase this. Any questions about that before I go on to uh, our little Pauline adventure? I have a question about some of the things that were up to yes. the top, Please. common to both, yep. critical values of yeah. both, how those are implemented among the key leaders, mm -hmm. whether lay or uh, clergy, to where there's, there's buy-in to that, there's, there's acceptance of that. Because I would imagine that in some cases, not only as a Petrine model do you, or Pauline model do you lose people, 
are accountable to those four things that are at the top. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you think about uh, um, the Cappadocian fathers and Athanasius, they were both absolutely orthodox. I mean, there are definitions for orthodoxy. But when they heard each other talk, they heard something else. You know, when one said, I believe in the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the others were hearing, oh, this guy's, you know, he's a, he's a monist, right? But he wasn't. He just believed absolutely that there is, you know, one substance, if you will. Um, and the other way, when they said, hey, I believe in the, the three persons of the Trinity, in the words that they were using, it was actually Greek and Latin, they, they were hearing, oh, this guy doesn't really believe that, that they're all one together. But it turns out, through, the, through history, we can look back and go, oh, they, they were like the same. At the same part. So the, the, there is work to be done in that, because let's say, for instance, you had a net, and two of those people in the net were very Pauline, and three were very Petrarch. It's likely to happen. Pauline's going to present a guy, and they're going to say, no, this bothered me, you know. Uh, maybe he seems a little bit like not grounded in scripture or something, you know, along those lines. And so um, what that will mean for a Pauline guy is, okay, well, let's, let's release him and stay with him and get those things worked out. What it will mean to a Petron guy is let's hold him back, typically, until he's ready. You're going to have to make some, you're going to have to be frank about that, learn to talk about those things lovingly, and then learn to um, uh, listen to the Holy Spirit about the answer. And the Pauline is typically going to hear no more times than they want to. Uh, and they're going to have to say, you know what, I, I, trust, I trust the Holy Spirit. Because there's times where, where I, I worked on a guy for two years, and even my own Pauline guys came down and said, uh, no. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? And he's bad, he's great, he's, he's come a long way, but he was never going to be one of the guys. The discipleship wasn't for in vain, but he wasn't going to be a catechist, he wasn't going to be a priest, even though he wanted to be. So just having a few extra guys in there was helpful. And I don't know if that's answering your question. I just think that that it's going to be some work. Because yeah. the reason I ask that yeah. question is um, we just have people in our world today that would consider themselves conservative, evangelical, you know, Bible-believing Christians, but they have different views on sexuality right. and other things. And like, all right, so how do we process that? Yeah. Uh, not just one person, but if it's in that net. That's what I was thinking. Well, and, and I, would, I would say everybody's accountable to to a, to a rector, to a priest, right? Right. And that priest, there is a, there is a point priest. Even in the net, it's not like you lose that one-on-one -on -one accountability. You just have other people uh, investing in. It's very it's very collegial. You know, you might be doing your doctoral dissertation under one person. Other people will have opinions about it. And so, I think learning to trust yep. and to say to that rector or to that priest who's in charge of a layperson or a work that seems, you know, we're trying to figure it out. Hey, I just want to be sure, don't forget this. Or I see a little bit of this in this guy or this person, you know, what? just don't forget. And then he can say, you know what, I, we, we've seen it too, you know. Yeah, they're a little bit that way. We're working on it. We're, and, and you might give examples. Yeah, this is, like, we have a guy who's in our intern house. Fantastic with people above him. Fantastic with people below him. Has a hard time with peers. Really does. And so, uh, so uh, in one case, I, you know, have a guy that I should 
probably make work for him in a situation, but I don't. Because I want him to work as a peer. I want to see that. I want to be able to work through that with him. But if someone else saw him, they might say, hey, he's, been, he's not working good with his peers. You know, what are you going to do about it? So those are, the, I think, taking the advice seriously of people on the outside, that's a, a lot of humility there. It's hard. I, I'm not even going to pretend like it's easy. Even, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. It's still tough. But to do that and then make sure that you're, you're being accountable back to your team saying, you know, yeah, we saw that and here's what we did about it. And that's what, a, you know, a good diocesan process does, right? I'm putting file, I'm putting paperwork into a file. But that paperwork is telling a story of the discipleship. It's a story of what got addressed, when, why, and we're being accountable for that. I hope that's helpful. Uh, so I have a quick question yes, before you move on. Please. Dave? Pauline model, Petrine model. You looked at a Giovanni model? Um, I was asked that same question by, <laughs> no, by, by um, Jack uh, Jbig at, at TSC Trinity School. And I asked him what he thought the, the Johan model was. Um, and we never finished that conversation. So I would love to add, um, what would you say, just you know, briefly, what would you, how would you describe the Johan model? Oh, I, I wouldn't. I was, I was hoping you could. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I mean, as you, as you look at some of the, the work coming out of the, the Celtic spirituality movement, they talk about the contrast between the, the Irish church and the Roman church, <laughs> Pauline versus Johanni. Yeah, and, and I don't know that there's, there's that much of a distinction, per se. I, I think probably a lot of what you're doing in executing the, the Pauline model is probably what other people would call Johannine. Okay. Simply the, the ministry of Paul rather than, than the doctrine of Paul. Right. You know, it, and you, you'll the see. Of Paul versus the writings of Paul. Like the, I mean, a, a, a brief review of scripture will see that Peter loved the Gentiles and Paul loved his, I mean, Hebrew Hebrews. Um, and so um, I, I think within there, this is, this is a, a, a built up. Uh, a trope of both to talk about a real issue that we have, not really an issue that they have. They didn't, you know, they thought of themselves as different kind of people, but that they didn't have a model. They were just doing the gospel, and they used all kinds of tools. And, and so, what I would say is, is um, what we're going to see is this. I mean, you think of, I would think of Johan as being much more relational in some sense, um, uh, and especially some of the, the anecdotal stories about him in, in later life. Who knows, you know, apocryphal, but. Um, I think that, uh, that that's, is, if we find another model that's helpful to put up here to explain, it's good. we need it because it, it'll help people talk to each other and, and, and work together. Uh, but at the end, what I hope is that, that the blend between the two becomes almost uh, um, you know, hard, to, hard to see. It'll be, you'll be working hand in hand. And we should, but work on your next doctoral, you know. You've got time for another doctor, right? Sean, if you can figure out our... So let's talk about um, uh, what, what the blocking and tackling. I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit um, about what it looks like to, to operate and do mission as a, a Pauline guy. Um, and you'll probably detect um, a number of errors uh, in, in the fact that there's things that I don't even see yet in this model, how we're looking at some of this stuff. So um, here's, the, here's the basic idea, right? is when a person comes to you, you identify there's a gifting, there's a calling, uh, there is um, uh, some fruit, and you want to see that 
released. And so what um, what uh, a Pauline person does, or a, yeah, uh, uh, I'm just going to say greenhouse at this point. Uh, when we think about this greenhouse, we're trying to send these people out with a very low entitlement. They're being released and supported, but they're not getting any letters after or before their names. They understand that they're accountable and that it's public. They're accountable to, to, to me, but they're also accountable to each other, and they're accountable to people doing ministry too. And they have that sense because no one's told them that they're smarter than everybody else, right? Now, they probably think they're smarter than everybody else, but we're going to work on that. And so we look for people who are faithful, accountable, and teachable. And, you know, that, that's what we're, we're, we're trying to see. Did you show up? Have you shown up all the time? Are you, are you in and out? You know, do you just want to do ministry because you're some kind of glory hound for ministry? Or do you actually care about people? Um, uh, and this is all ages. It happens a lot in the beginning with college students. But I actually have, a, 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 in the 50s, a um, former surgeon who is a lay catechist. He went and got a degree from Fuller. Um, he's got his MDiv. He was a surgeon. I don't know if you know any doctors who were surgeons. Um, but they're really smart, and they know that. Um, so to say to him, hey, we're not going to just pass you on to, to get ordained, but we want to see some proof. And actually, the last church you're at, you didn't always show up every time. And you sort of faded out. So that doesn't go well. So, okay, will you hang out with me, and will you do this, and let me release you? So he said, hey, I want to play a church in Clear Lake. And um, so I say, great. Why don't you start a Bible study in Clear Lake? Can you gather some people? So I'm trying to figure out a lot of things about him. You know, I know that he's, he's already gone to the church. He's, he's done all this work. He's got a family. I can see some of that. I get a report from a previous priest about good and, and bad. He takes, he takes the, uh, the assessment test that they give it always forward. I, I read that. I say, great. That's all wonderful. Go do something. So we start the thing. Uh, and it's okay. It's not, it doesn't, a lot of people don't show up. Some of his family, some close friends, not a lot of people outside that group. And for about a year, that's what he gets. Not a lot of people. So I know he's got good doctrine. I have him coming in and, and actually sitting around our theological reading group so that um, he's with people who are much younger than him who are much less accomplished in life than him, but he comes, and he engages, right? And you think that sometimes, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, arrogance might come out? Well, he's talking to people who are younger than him, less learned than him, have great opinions. Well, a couple times, times, a couple of debates, let's talk about it, let's work it out. You know, hey, you have, you, have, you come across this way, I don't think you're trying to. These are kind of things that we're working out with, right? right? Well, he's trying to do a thing in his house, he's coming here, Let's have him preach at our building a couple times. You know, is he preaching the gospel? Is he, is he thinking about the needs of the people? And, you know, what, is that, what does it look like? So we're discipling there. He's a guy who's already graduated seminary, but hasn't gone through this kind of formation. And he's, so he, he subjected himself to, to us, right, uh, in, in this, this process. And then he's staying faithful with his meetings, even though they're not going terribly well. It's not one of those things that makes Facebook. We, we planted yesterday, we got 3,000 people, you know, and, and all the other church planners should slit your wrist. Why are you bothering, right? None of that. Really just the other story, which is, hey, they didn't, they didn't really come that often. But you stay faithful, um, and, we, and we're working through these things. And so 
at the end of the sort of year process, Harvey hit, and we were dealing with all of that. And at the end of the new year, I said, you know what? I know you want to be ordained. I know that, that, that that's a possibility for you. But I don't want you to plant a church like the person who's going to be the rector of the church. That's what he kind of was doing. Hey, I'm going to start a church. Come be the rector. And my discernment was that people just weren't that interested in him as a rector. Just, that wasn't his calling. When you meet him the first time, you don't think, hey. If, man, if I had a, a, a church that needed a, a vicar, man, in a second. Godly, faithful guy, um, uh, careful, gentle. But he wasn't gathering new people. So you want to plant a church, that's a different thing. I said, why don't you plant like a senior warden? Because if you say to me, hey, I'm going to be the rector of your church, you want to come, I think, well, maybe. See, I'm not sure. But if you told me, hey, I'm going to be on the team, and I want you to come with me and help me push this, this thing, I'm like, man, I want you on the team. Every time. 100 times out of 100 times, I want... Mike on the team, faithful, committed, uh, giving, uh, good doctrine. You know, he's a monist, so I'm not sure about that. But you know, let's let's do this. So he then he he is readjusts his his, um, his approach. Now it is I as a guy who went through that process, being told, hey, I, I can't, I'm not guaranteeing you anything about ordination, which we never can anyway. But but to be told that formally, like, hey, I I just I want you to do this. I think it's the best thing. You want to see a church? Let's let's make a church. Um, and he did it, right? And he put up uh, uh, a couple of uh, ads in the paper, and people are gathered. We got two that just happened, and one that's going to happen in three weeks. So as a as a Paul person, as a as a Pauline model, I've got a, a person, and I desperately want to see where he fits in the kingdom, and I want to create the context for him, and I want to. Uh, I want to get him going. And if he's not, I want to get him stopping this and moved on to what he should be doing. Either way. But I, at the end of the day, I want to see that he's in the right spot. Um, and, and so we're, we're going through that process. Uh, and the, the Pauline part of that, again, that's something that the whole church wants to do, right? Everybody wants the people with gifts in the right spot. The, the Pauline part of that is I'm willing and want to, not just willing, I want to be adaptable to his context to make it work, right? Uh, I want to go, okay, this, this, it didn't work this way, let's try it this way. Uh, rather than after a year, typically, I, you know, I think in uh, any other model that I would have grown up in, they would have said, well, no, that's not your thing, go, go figure it out. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of the difference. The willingness, so, to, so I, I think the, the call and the, 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 the gift being required in the Pauline world here, we, we all know that showing up on time and being diligent is a Petrine gifting. Right? I'm not the, that guy. I need diligence, but you know one's going to say, hey, Mark, who's the guy who always has his paperwork right? And everything? No, that's not Mark. Right? One of the giftings in this area, and the way that he self-identified, is um, willing to make a context, to build a context for somebody to see um, what, uh, what, what God's doing there. To sort of go out of your way to do that. And that may be more Johan as well. But uh, as you, as you so. That's, that's how we see it. Let's go find out what God's doing. Let's follow it. Um, and, I'm, and I'm willing to do it. And I'm willing to, to sign up for it and follow the path. Um, question mark. Yes. I got lots of questions. Yeah, please. Um, so if I'm hearing you correctly, then one of the roles that you play as his uh, mentor, as his um, Paul or Peter person, yeah. is creating context for him. That's right. 
So if one context didn't work, you're not saying in your head, not call the ministry. You're saying we got to find the right context. What's the context? Right. And so this is the first of my list of free things that the whole church gets. You ready for this? You write down anything, write down this. Uh, I have a list of things that are free that we all get to use um, or that we that the church has as its birthright. And that is that ordained people have the right to bind on earth. And they'll be bound in heaven. That, that what I, what I, that's what I mean when I say make a context. So when I say to Mike, a layperson, you have the right with the permission to go do this, I'm creating a supernatural reality for him to work inside of. Right? Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, it's a natural one and a supernatural one. He is blessed to do that work. And this is something that I think is, is probably the most powerful thing that we don't use, and that is permission. That exists, it's obviously vested in ordained people, it's vested in, in, in vestries, right? When they say yes to somebody, go do this, uh, we, we often think that vestries, the power that they have is the budget power. But that is, that is a real power, but it is minor in comparison to the, the supernatural reality of permission and blessing. And so um, quite often, when we, we often see, when we can't see it, we say no to it, we're, we're actually decreating the context, right? And they can go run off and do something on their own, but they're not doing it with the blessing. I guess my question, yeah. thinking is, I didn't see much of the distinction between context with go plant as uh, a rector versus go plant as a senior board. Does anybody else uh, I, I didn't have see a problem seeing that distinction? And, and why one was not quote unquote fruitful and the other one was. Yeah, it's because his charism wasn't to gather and to lead as, as the primary leader. He, he, um, he has the character and the doctrine of a rector, but we're not seeing that the fruit and the charism, the gifted. Um, you know, some people you meet and actually leaders. Right. Terrible character, wouldn't let your, your daughter around with your short order son, right? But they're going to follow wherever they go. You see that, and you know there's a certain sense of that. And there's a wide range there. I'm not, I'm not just picking one kind of person to be a rector, but I, but you have a sense when a person thinks they're going to be a church planter, they gotta be a first chair, mostly. At least a, first, a church planting rector. Mostly, what I wanted to do is free him from having to make two cases at one time, right? The case that we're going to plant a church, and the case that I'm going to be the leader of. I said that's a decision in your case. Even though that's what happened with me, right? I planted a church and they made me, I was just the de facto rector of it, right? After I got ordained as a priest. I never had to ask anybody. But in his context, where he's planting in Clear Lake and the people he's planting with, they're going to form a vestry. They're going to form a leadership council of some sort, a bishop's council. And that group is going to decide together. And so some of it is, is methodology. Some of it is who you're reaching. There's a lot of factors that go into that decision. Um, but, but the main one for me was, I, I said yes to him, I could get a chance to go run with it, and the, the run with it in, in that particular context didn't bear fruit. Uh, I've seen this kind of work out, even um, kind of in that rector-vicar distinction, um, where, um, and this was, this was something that, as uh, I was moving to, to becoming a rector, that you know, the bishop was talking about from time to time to our parish. Um, okay, you can, he said, okay, um, you can get a search committee, but it's useless because I've only got one guy in the <laughs> <laughs> you know, But other times,
the, the, the whole church, not just calling a picture right, knows that that process is a discipleship process for the vestry too. Right. How do you decide? What do you need? What's right to want? Right? And so what I'm expecting is that it's 50-50. That, that, that there might be some things that, that Mike needs to learn to be a rector that he actually has within him that are discipleship things that will get released in this process. Right? But I don't know. Right? I just don't know. So I'm, I'm, we're going to find out. Um, and at the end, we think we will know. And the hope is, as we build a culture around this, that will also be clear to Mike. He might not even like the answer, but you want him to have a sense and say, you know what, that's, that's probably right. You know, or I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, I kind of disagree with you, but I'm willing to go for it. Um, and that's what he was, you know, there. So, Sean? Right, you know, I, I think this is really good news for lay leaders, too, because the, the only mode for their leading and helping plant the church is in holy orders. Right. Uh, and it kind of, like, releases the power and the authority to start congregations the body, yeah. and not just this clericalism, kind of elite, you know, squad of people that get to go out and you have to be ordained to church business. I think this is really good news for people, um, for the possibility of playing churches, but also for this gentleman. It's really good news that um, he doesn't have to have this oppressive, you know, uh, expectation hanging over his head of, uh, I, I've got to get ordained to make this happen, I've got these suits i got to jump through. You're actually kind of releasing him into uh, a more fitting calling than squeezing him into something else just to fit the church plant model. I think that's like actually good news for him. Well, and, and the, the, I think, Sean, you, you agree with me, any of the uh, ordained presbyters in the room, uh, I was told when I was ordained as a deacon, hey, this will change everything. But I was already doing deacon work. So for me, it was like, <laughs> but, but when I became a presbyter, I was like, who would want this if they weren't called to it? Right? Like, like instantly, hey, you know how cool it was to have a church of 30 young people and be a lay person? I mean, I was rocking the world. I was like poster child for doing a good thing. You know how terrible it feels to have 30 people and be an ordained person? You instantly feel like you're like seven people behind the curve on what you should be. And then there's a weight of that. There's an expectation your own. It could all be, you know, uh, sin and wrong, but it is what it is. Yeah. That's a big weight to put around somebody. And and how many times have you talked to an ordained person at some point and you're like, why are they, why are they, why are they? I don't see it, you know, like, like you know. And so, but, but think about how many people would be beautiful, amazing leaders in the church, but, but they're wearing a collar and they, they feel like sort of failures as presbyters because they're, they're, they're serving in the back row somewhere. Uh, and they, and they, you know, there's no reason for that. Um, and I'm not here to define what a presbyter should be, and not be. That's why we have bishops. But I, but I just know the weight of it, and I know that it was a great freedom to be able to plant a church as a lay person, and to not worry about whether or not I was going to get ordained, and to say, hey, I get to do all the stuff, right? Not less elements. I get to lead. I get to guide. I get to disciple. I get to show the gospel. I get to gather. I get to decide what the font looks like on the logo. I'm in, right? So, as we're doing this, so this, this is this is the one I'm giving you the, the the one-on-one, right? But this isn't just a one-on-one thing because we're building a culture. Uh, having a catechist is not just um, uh, like a track 
in, uh, uh, it's not just a track. You have to have a whole culture around this. And, and so for Mike to go through the process he went through, and God bless you, Mike, if you hear this, I love you. Um, uh, to go through this, we had a, a, a group of guys, right? We had a 20-something church planter who doesn't uh, wear shoes. We had a, a, a priest who were sitting to Panama, uh, who got ordained and continuing. We've got a couple of guys who aren't ever going to be priests, uh, but they really dig theology and want to be leaders in different ways. So we've got some young interns. And so he's sitting at this table uh, with me and all these other people uh, doing theology, discussing church planting, and, um, and in that context, um, he's getting discipled in a way that it's almost impossible to disciple uh, an adult priest. You just can't. But once you sort of lose something, like the way that you can grow changes when you've been ordained. So there's a time here of where we open up the opportunity for a great deal of growth, a great deal of, of reflection and correction um, that uh, is really hard to do later. Uh, when you're, especially if you have a congregation, how fast you can change, you may change, all that goes away. But there's a culture, and it takes time to build. But the culture is one where, again, uh, who's ever been on a a sports team? (laughs) You might think that you're the best pitcher in the world, or quarterback, until you get on a sports team and see that eight people are better than you. And he goes, you know, maybe I should be a wide receiver, you know? You have a sense, you have a sense where you fit when you're in a culture. But if we do discernment one-on-one only, um, the only thing you have to look up to is, is the, the rector you're working with, right? Um, and so when we begin to build a culture, both in the church and, 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 or regionally, people start to say, you know, I'm like that guy. You know, they have this great ministry of contemplation at this church. I don't really want to teach or preach, but like, I love theology, I love gathering God's people. But I think, like, sort of the monastic, you know, like, let's get people together and pray. Well, in, in a culture, that can begin to be seen by other people. They can more quickly identify their giftings and callings. We don't have all of them working right now, and we don't have all of them blessed right now. But when we get to a place where we really appreciate how a prophetic person operates in the church, that the prophetic person be discipled, and what a gift that is, other prophetic people can go, you know, I don't know. And they say, yeah, did you notice how humble they are? Did you notice how they bring the word of God and then let the, the established uh, leaders implement that idea or process that? How they're not trying to also be king and prophet. Okay? Do you see how humble the priest is to hear a word from somebody who's not M, knowing that God speaks through the prophetic voice of, you know, so we, we haven't seen all of that, and we're in, the, we're in the midst of regrowing the glorious church that has all of those gifts. That's one of the reasons why we need each other so deeply, because some, you know, Scott has a healing service, and sees people get healed, and I want to I see people get healed. But our people are like, yeah, we, we want to see it too. That'd be great, you know? But, but a deep understanding, encounter with the Lord, a training. So, what I'm saying here when it comes to the greenhouse and, and, and this method, and I think it's probably true of both, but when we create the culture of this, people will begin to say, you know what, and I have this, right? We had a guy who I said, hey, go to, go to the greenhouse. He's my guy, right? I, I, was, I, I had him in a youth group. He was the star guy. He was bringing people to the church. He was reading theology. 
He was at the university. I said, come to the university, right? And the greatest thing I can do as a greenhouse person to make my greenhouse um, cohort so happy is to plant a church, right? And I desperately want, I want to plant a church. Right, go plant a church. It's different, Mike. Um, a U of H, and not so much, you know? Uh, and I don't say you want to be church planted. It's actually, but, but the calling was, um, was different. It wasn't to, to just reach you know, college students. He has this calling in his heart to, to, um, to reach you know, post-grad people. Well, hey, in that charism, so they're looking at what your calling is to um, uh, people in the, you know, Latino people in the barrio with an average income of $7,000 uh, a year. I'm not going to send you to three seminaries to get a doctor to come back and preach to them. I'm not saying that you couldn't. What I'm saying is, it doesn't your 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 um, your training doesn't match the calling, and there's no way it's sustainable. I can't give you hundred thousand dollars in debt and then have these people pay your bills. I need different kinds of people here. I need to be able to release them here, uh, and and so Mike's call, Mike uh, Davis, his calling was really uh, a little more academic. Maybe it was going to be professor and not you know he had to think about the priest thing. Dad was a priest, so you know uh, he uh, was pretty so. Um, and so, uh, so, but that wasn't his thing. He wasn't the greenhouse. He wasn't the Pauline guy. He was a pension guy. So for me, even though I know I'm the Pauline, what I had to be able to do is bless him and say, let's go to seminary. Let's get you in the normal track, you know, the normal track, the established track that we have, um, and, uh, and go do that. Uh, so uh, I lost my place a little bit. Uh, this is the time for a question. Any questions about that? I think you guys do this well, so I want you to talk a little bit more about this. When we hear about like the the, the wild horses that you all the Pauline missionaries you guys have, the question is, so how does authority and accountability work with yeah. that? Because it seems like the wild west. Yeah. Can you guys talk about how your your students, your lead catechists, your leaders who are doing this lay work, um, how that relates to uh, structures of like the community? How does that relate to the church community? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So. Um, one of the things is, and this is uh, um, the, one of the differences in Africa versus here, and we, we talk about it a lot, is um, the multi-parish model. So we talk about the church that the Western church everywhere is uh, typically one leader, uh, one council of some sort, however it's established, and one building, one church, one culture. Um, and so... Uh, in order to have a lay catechist that you're sending off to do something, um, one of the great benefits of that is that, that I might have, uh, this, was, this was Redeemer Episcopal, we had all older white people in a neighborhood that was 86% spoke Spanish at home. And, and the old model, in order to plant one of these, I needed a rector to come. I'm going to take a long way to answer your question, but I, I'll get there. I needed a rector to go plant that church. And how many Episcopal Spanish-speaking rectors that wanted to come to the barrio and work for almost nothing are there? Well, it turns out there was one, and he was from South America, and you know there was all kinds of cultural uh, challenges there, and, it, and that ended up closing down. But still, we had a 40,000 square foot building that shut down because the building wasn't maintained well in an all-Hispanic neighborhood, full of all kinds of craftsmen, right? So the church needed something to right the building of the church. Um, so. What we could have done is, is released a catechist, uh, a layperson to do this work here. 
under the authority of, of the rector. Now we didn't, didn't have that option. So then what is the relationship between this other congregation and this one here? Well, there's a lot of different ways to do it. St. Timothy's has done this. St. Timothy's uh, in spring, Father Stan Gerber. Um, he plays like he doesn't know what's going on. Like, I just, I heard it and I thought it'd be good and I tried it out. He's a really smart guy. He's the, he's the rector that you wanted growing up, uh, that some of us had, some of us didn't have. But he's got this established church. It was Episcopal. It came in, um, you know, I think 350 people on a Sunday. Uh, Stan, if you're listening and it's more, I'm sorry. Um, he won't. Um, and, and so he, he plants a, a, a Latino congregation. He meets a, it turns out to be a, 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 a Father Oscar he is a, a priest in the old Catholic uh, uh, church. They plant a church there, right? But he's ordained. Um, and then they meet uh, uh, Father Nazir from Pakistan, and they launch him out to plant a Pakistani church. But then in the midst of that, so they're, they're, all of a sudden they've got three congregations in this one building and, and, and structure. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking about uh, one of the reasons why I love greenhouses is we can plant churches in. Um, uh, retirement homes. Uh, and, and so they're doing that in Chicago. Well, he, he had a couple guys that weren't necessarily going to be ordained, but had a lot of gifts, had a passion. He released them. So now St. Tim's has a Latino congregation, uh, Pakistani, Urdu language congregation, and two um, nursing home congregations of different types. Okay? Now, in this model, this vestry is still really in charge of all. Okay. This is um, uh, centrally, uh, you know, the authority is directly to Stan. Uh, he's got these, these, these guys, um, and, uh, and he's managing them as part of his staff and his team. So that's one way. Um, and then there's more like what we're thinking of doing um, in, uh, so I'd say sort of more fully Pauline, and that is, um, the, the multi-congregational parish. And, the, and there's places in Africa, the places in Africa we found out were actually a lot more like this. The big church cathedral was in charge of everything, um, even the budgets and things like that. They didn't give as much of that out to the other parishes. But for instance, Missio Dei is a church that used to be 20-somethings, now older and married, not a lot of cash. We do have a building. We're going to plan out in Clear Lake. Well, the Clear Lake church is likely to be made up of a lot of Episcopalians, have more money, more resources, and finances, right? But the biblical model Paul laid out was that I plant the church, you guys get some people together and administer your church. And so it's likely that we, we just, hey, by the way, uh, Monsieur O'Day uh, just had our first uh, leadership council meeting. We have bylaws, we have a leadership council, it's, we don't call it a vestry, but we just had it. But, but our, so there's me, right, as the rector, and there's, we're going to call it Missio Dei East End, okay? And this is the church that I preach at. It's where all the, you know, it's where the building is and all that. But um, if we are going to plant uh, the Clear Lake Church, okay? Now, it's likely that they're also, that we have, you know, our, our leadership council. And they're going to have their leadership council. Now, Mike's, if, if he's um, working as a lay catechist, there, he's still going to be working with me. We're going to meet one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to meet together. Um, and so the way this works right now is, out of that group of like seven or eight, Sean, uh, that are interested in things, 
only probably three of them are going to end up doing something like church planting. The other four think they might, maybe they know they won't, I don't know, but, uh, but they're sort of along for the ride. So, so inside even that group, um, Jason, who's my catechist, at, uh, at, even though I'm there at Missio Day, he's recognized by the church as, I mean, he actually teaches about half of the church their one-on-one discipleship. He busts out, out, out the, um, our catechist, catechism book and he sits up down with it. There's one guy. Let's go through this. Let's talk about it. So everybody recognizes his authority. Everybody recognizes that he's the guy. He preaches. They all know that I, I ask him about every decision I make. He's the catechist there. Well, in that group, um, uh, he ends up leading four or five of those guys, sort of primarily. They're interns or whatever. And then I help him lead them. So he says, hey, I met with so-and-so, we're having this problem. And I say, okay, well, what do you want to do about that? What do you think? So we work together. And then I have people I sort of, like, that's typically the older guys, the guy, the guy's already been to seminary, I'm typically working with them um, and, and doing that. And so uh, what we're going to need is probably um, a weekly meeting of some sort as, as a group so that I can uh, discern, um, we can support, that we can see how they operate in the group. And we're going to need periodic one-on-one meetings, depending on what's happening, to, to go through that. So you can't, I see, I mean, you couldn't have 40 at the same time, right? Like, there'd be no way to really mentor, you know. Uh, so I would say, you know, you sort of have some kind of max, just based on how much time you have. But we think of it as a parish, and then also um, as the local congregation. So this is a little bit, because we're forming it, it's a little bit amorphous who's a parish guy, who's a congregation person. But if someone's thinking about planning a church, we'll say, hey, if they're thinking about planning a church, they're going to come help us here, and we're going to send them out when they do. And they sort of understand that they're, uh, we don't make them come to the staff meeting unless they think they're going to be a rector, and then we do. So you can watch what a staff meeting looks like, right? But they're not making decisions for everything. They're just they're kind of listening. Um, but if they're not so faithful, accountable, teachable, if they're not those things, then it, they won't stick around very long um, because they're going to see the others. So I had a guy uh, who we, we, we gave a position to uh, early on said, hey, go be this thing for the church, kind of a side thing, a ministry thing. And he still had the title. He was still coming to the church sometimes, but he was like trying to start another church that wasn't Anglican. He says, hey, what about this thing? Am I still this? I'm like, well, let me ask you. You see the accountability that these guys have to me. Do you want that? Do you want me asking you how things are going, uh, checking in on what you're teaching, you know, talking to your people and seeing how it's going? Do you want that from me? Because it seemed like to me you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that. And he's like, yeah, I don't want that. I'm like, well, then that's your answer. You know, you're not, you're not, you can't be the director of anything in my church unless you're, you're with me. And so I think that, the, that uh, I'm not no expert at it, Sean. I think that um, we'll all have our own styles. But for me, um, there's got to be some kind of regular structured meeting, prayer time, got to know what's going on in their life, um, and, and know who they are, if that makes sense. How are we on time? Uh, we're good. Okay, so I, I let's, yeah. One. How do you sacramentally nourish? Great. Plan. Great question. What, so when I was uh, in the Episcopal Church, they would never do anything like 
what they would call at that time a deacon's mass. You were not allowed to do anything like that. Um, and I was, you know, I, I didn't know all the even theology around it then. Um, but I thought to myself, we're a sacramental church. It'd be hard to plant your Anglican church without having bread and wine there. You know? Yeah, that's who we are. Morning prayer, just, we would do that sometimes in the, in the Episcopal church when, when the priests were not being afforded anymore and they'd have me preach. They would do morning prayer. I'm like, man, why? Can't we find a way? <laughs> you know? Um, and I love morning prayer. It's just not a, it's not a substitute for sacramental service. And so uh, this is up to bishops. That's absolutely their purview here. Uh, but what has been done in, in the REC for actually a, a long time, I can't, I mean, I'm not an REC guy, but I, I, from the outside I saw that they were doing this a long time. Um, they would do some kind of lay distribution, whether a deacon distribution or a lay distribution. So they would have Eucharist somewhere, and they would send people out, and people would come and, and uh, get bread and wine from the table and take it to their people and do a distribution of it. They wouldn't do the Eucharistic service. They would do the distribution side of that service. And they would, and, and so when I did it, um, as a layperson, Bishop Clark, William, so this is just, just thinking, William's thinking about me. Seems like a good guy. Seems like uh, he's going to be okay. Let me connect him with a local person. Right? He's trying to build a context around me. I need, I need at that point, Ken and Clark, low and field. Let's tie them together. So I have a, a, I'm reporting to William from the greenhouse standpoint. I recognize that he's the one pushing this and he's supporting me. He's my first mentor. But that, that William, what William wants is to put a cocoon around me of, of people, godly people to support and to, and I know, to discern. I'm not confused about that. And so um, uh, I go up to Clark's church. This was when actually, they were still EMEA and we were ACNA. So I had to claim over my bishop. I was ACNA before you. you know. um, I don't bring that up. Sorry, I was just joking. Um, but, but I would go up and I would appear uh, uh, usually about um, once a month or once every uh, two weeks. And I would get, they would, you know, set out um, elements for me from the table. So I, I would join in the service. Sometimes I would go up there up front. If I didn't feel like it, I'd wear a t-shirt instead of uh, anything that could make me stand up there with them. And um, I would get the, the sacrament. And he would say, hey, we're blessing this. We're sending this to Missio Day." And then when I would do the distribution service at our church, I would say um, that I'm, you know, we're not blessing this. This comes from the table of uh, the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We are part of a family, and, and one of the things that's happening here is this represents our powerful connection. I won't ever give this to you if it doesn't come from that table. And when I give it to you, it's actually coming from that table, right? Like, even though I'm here. So we, we, we get use that opportunity to teach the deep connectedness uh, to the, the whole church and why bishop, priests, and deacons exist um, to represent the, the single ministry of Christ, right? And that's why we can't just do this with snicker bars and, and you know, crackers, as some have been known to do, not in the church. Um, but some, some bishops don't feel terribly comfortable with that. And, and praise God for them, they have the right to, to want to do it a different way. That is one of the options that now exist is a lay distribution um, service. And I think it's actually going to be included in the program. I'm, I'm not sure of that, but I think it is going to come where it's clearly that this is the distribution service versus Eucharist. Um, and so uh, we feed them and we also tether them back to the whole church when we do that. And we, and we do it every Sunday. Uh, and so we were able to get enough usually to last for, um, uh, for a few weeks. Some people, some, some people will want it to be every week. You know, 
Um, that is, you know, so that's, that's up to the purview of the bishop and, and the priest in that situation. My understanding is that's pretty typical um, before the presbyters got as much authority as we do, right. where, yeah, the, the, the bishop would, would celebrate and send the deacons off writing to, to the... Yeah, in the real old days, right, yeah, that was... Yeah, like that was, second yeah. century kind yeah. of stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and then, so, obviously, you're, uh, um, you're not pronouncing absolution. I didn't do that until I was a presbyter. I would say what we say in morning prayer, you know, with the Lord, you know, uh, uh, us rather than you. Um, and then, uh, yeah, any of the other stuff, like, so for marriage, I asked the bishop, he said, he said, uh, he said no, uh, if they want you to preach there, that's fine, but have a presbyter or someone else do that, the signing of the documents, although technically in Texas we're allowed to. So I would, I would say, hey, I'm a deacon. This is not in the church. You're getting, you're getting a Christian service, not a civil service. The state may say I have the right to, but, but, but our polity doesn't. And so all of it, whether you agree with that or not, doesn't matter. The thing that we have to agree with is that we're part of an ordered church. So I get to use that as an opportunity to show um, my submission to the order and my bishop um, and to teach them that's why we do it. So the, what might be an inconvenience to make a guy go out and um, uh, find some other uh, person to sign the actual paperwork, which they did three or four times. Um, and then baptisms, again, it's, you know, the, the prayer book says what it says, right, that it's normal that presbyters and bishops do that. My bishop said, hey, uh, I'd be happy if you, if you baptized your guys. And then when I come, what we, what we worked out was that uh, if I baptized him, when he came, he would seal him with oil. So we're, 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 we're doing everything we can to show the reality of the church and not breaking the picture that all those things paint. Uh, and show and actually are real in, in, in spiritual reality. So, um, and then there are bishops, you know, Bishop Stewart, Bishop Clark, there are other bishops. I mean, African bishops have been doing this a long time in different ways. So there's people to reach out to and ask, how do you handle, what are the pros and cons of this? And it might be that, that there's a catechist that I release but don't let distribute. Right, just from a sense of calling and charism and character, I'm just like not as comfortable you know, that I feel okay saying, hey, you got a group of people here, but I'm not comfortable doing, um, doing that yet. Um, and so that's, that's happened before. And actually, and in my case, I was really looking forward to it. This is the thing. I love it here. And William came down and said, I said, are we, are we doing this? He's like, no, not, not yet. I need to get part first. So he could have blessed a bunch of sacrament and left it with me. But, but, but he sees what I didn't see, which is we have to, we have to bind this whole thing together. So we're, we're not taking rights and entitlement, right? What we're doing is we're deferring, and we're teaching, and we're waiting, and we're listening. So he knows that in order for us to be natively there and, and accepted, um, he's not going to set up a table for me to distribute from without the regional person. So he, I had to wait a whole summer to tell he could actually sit down with Clark the next time he came down and say, hey, can we do this? Will you do this? And he said, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a thing that just, I mean, we know it has to be thoughtfully, rightfully done, has to be carefully done, and it has to be done in accordance with, um, with our bishop and, and, you know, full, full clarity about what's happening. So, other questions? So, um, a couple things. What would that look like, you know? There's a lot, I mean, they said these, are, these talks can be the whole day. There could be a whole conference on this. Um, I want to share a couple things about stuff that you get to do free 
that, that, that we have these great uh, access to when we're doing this kind of work. Um, but then also um, uh, paint a picture of how it grows in a place. What we used to teach is the first, uh, uh, the first bit of it, like how to start it from nothing. We would teach all of those things. So have you ever done uh, Amish friendship bread? Or uh, do you know what kombucha is? Are there hipsters here? We know. So kombucha is this fermented tea. And the way that you get the fermented tea is you have to get the scobies. You have to like get the, some of the original fermented stuff and you can make more, right? And so making your own fermented whatever, whether it's Amish bread or, or this tea, uh, you can either get somebody else's and grow from there, or you can start it from scratch. So what I'm not going to do is tell you how to start uh, greenhouse from scratch. Uh, there's a lot to that. You know, there's a, that you, you have to have a color to do it and really want to do it and all that. But what I can tell you is you can borrow some of the culture and grow a lot easier in your own world. So what we've learned is that in order to kind of catch how this works, people need to see it. And right now in, in the US, not, not counting African uh, um, groups because I don't have a lot of insight in that. You may more, Scott. But Greenhouse has two sort of initiation weeks where you get to go, get the full training, see it in action. The one church in Northwestern that started with a lay catechist is now 18 churches, congregations, and I think three different parishes. So it's three different parish structures. You can see how Latino congregations work with um, um, college ones, how they work with um, nursing home congregations, who runs that, um, how William supports that, and how those relate to, I think very importantly, the, the established um, Petrine churches in the area. And so you can go see that with your own eyes. So we, Diocese of the Western Anglicans um, have decided that Greenhouse is going to be like their way of doing mission. So they sent their canons to one of these trainings and they sent some priests and they came back and said, okay, come show us. Right? So some of what has to happen is you have to see it with your eyes and go, how does this work? Um, but in its, in its core form, um, we're open to the idea that lay people can plant churches in accordance with their charism and gifting under the authority of, of, of uh, ordained ministers, and, and preferably, in this case, um, priests, right? Um, you know, extenuating circumstances aside, sometimes the deacon can lead that person. Of course, then you have the sacramental situation. Um, but, but there's a lot that we can do to begin to build this culture. Because one of the things that the Petri model does is it hasn't created any kind of uh, honey, if you will, for those bees. They know they've been going to uh, um, the uh, parachurch movement. They've been going to plant with non-denoms. So there's people out there that are thinking, hey, I really want to plant inside the church, but I don't know how to do it. I'm going to go do this other thing. So one of the things that we, if we're going to do this, is kind of put the word out that you're open to it, that you want to get people working in their, in their gifting and you want to plant some churches and you're open to new things. That's how you get some kind of pipeline of people saying, hey, I heard you're open to new things. Right? And so, um, uh, and some of those people, you'll be like, no, you're a cult leader. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you do this. Right? But others will say, hey, I was going to plan on my own, but I really want to be in the church. I grew up Lutheran. I grew up Methodist. I grew up Anglican or Episcopalian. And I just, I want, or I spent time already in, in the real wild west of the, of the independent church. And, I, and I'm tired of that. I read some N.T. Wright. I read some Keller. I mean, that, this is one of our guys from Oklahoma. Um, I was all over the place. I want to say what denominations, but he was all over the place in Oklahoma. And he came back and said, man, I, I, you know, 
I was thinking about going to Rome, I don't know, but I want to do this thing. Um, and so what we want to do is, is uh, as, a, as a young, as a person who was once a young leader, not anymore, now I'm a perfectly middle-aged leader, um, but as, you know, you have hopes and dreams, you have ambitions, you want to try stuff, and you're looking for someone to say, hey, we're, we're interested in that. Not, hey, come apply over here in this process, and we'll see, we'll get to you eventually, right? That's how it feels. I, it may not be that way, but that's how it feels you know, when, you're, when you're that guy. So you, you need people who, who recognize, hey, I want those kind of guys. I like that. Let's open the door a little bit to let them know. That, and when they discern them, we're going to discern them. We might say, hey, you really need to go through this process. I want to send you to seminary. I want to get you formed this way. But we may say, hey, let's, let's go do this. Um, and then uh, as that, that, that begins to build. So William, I think a year and a half before he ever got this phone call um, from Mike, Bauer, who planted the first church that we counted the first one in Northwestern. Um, he had been praying on campuses. He had been asking the Lord to send workers, right? Pray to the Lord the hardest to send workers. That's the thing that's scarce, not people who need God. Um, so people knew that William was a guy that you could send people to who thought like this. So you need something like that, right? Where, hey, if there's, you know, we run into a guy who seems to fit this sort of mold, we know who to send you to. Um, and so when uh, they actually planted, they tried four catechists the first time they all failed. I don't know the story of them. We, we don't talk about them at all. Um, but, but really, she tried it. It didn't work. Those, they didn't, whatever. It didn't take. Um, they learned a lot from it, and they, they tried again. So it's a constant even discernment and growing model for everybody involved. Um, so you're going to have to try a few times. You're just going to have to, you know, hey, this seems like a good thing. Uh, doesn't matter age, young people, older people, you know. But it seems like you have the gift. It seems like you're right. A couple people agree. Let's, let's see. You, see. you seem to feel a call to this area. No one's ready to ordain you, but it seems like you have a call. Let's try it. So, um, once, so what, what I found is I tried with a couple of people that, that did not work out. But the other people that are seeming to work out better, we're watching. They're like, well, if you don't put up with that guy, you'll put up with me. So let's, let's go ahead and give it a shot. So what we found is by being open to it and trying it, that it attracted the people who were interested in that kind of church planting. And, and they had both options. They, they could look fully at the, at the uh, Petri model and say, okay, I know what that is. I grew up in that. I even seem like I'm maybe more that kind of guy. I want to go over here. This is why our unity is so important. They should never get the sense that they're getting less than everything that the church has to offer in terms of accountability just because they're coming with Polly. Um, in fact, I'm going to make it way harder. Um, they're going to have a lot more accountability. And in, in my view of it, right, I'm going to get into the details about some stuff that maybe others wouldn't. Um, uh, but doing it a few times and seeing how um, those people are treated, whether they succeed or fail, gives other people the chance, hey, I want to try. Uh, so we do have to break the clericalism, right? And you, you pointed that out, Sean. Um, the default is to think, unless you have a collar, that your, your, your ministry is not valid. So a culture of working on all of that as well. And so the best way, the best, uh, especially since I, I'm a Houston Astros fan, have you all heard about the Astros? They're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, is we need to build farm teams. 
you're not going to get, you know, you have two ways of doing it, and I'm not saying the Yankees are Petrine, but you know, if the shoe fits. Um, but the Yankees go and they buy talent. Right? They have a lot of money, and they go get superstars. Now, if we can afford superstars, we should get them. Right? I mean, there's, I, I'm, I'm not against that. Um, if, if, and, a, and a good example of that, I mean, Falls Church has finances, they have resources, and they're beautiful Petrine church, and they go and they fund church planters, and they have a long, you know, I think it's three years they put them through, and they launch them with a team. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, but it takes a lot of resources. Okay? So I'm not saying stop doing that, but I'm saying do we have those resources here? If we find ourselves without them, we, we have another option to build this up, and that is to build what I call farm teams. So you think of, you know, youth ministry, college ministry, uh, discipleship programs for um, young people, college people, as your triple as your A ball there, you're looking, you're seeing leaders. You don't want them to get to be 40 and have no discipleship or 30. That's some of the things we're finding. We're meeting 30-year-olds who should be able to plant churches but haven't been discipled yet. So we're like, our farm team, we're starting, let's start with in, in the Latino community. I want, to, I want over the next 50 years, Missio Day, to put out 20, 30 Latino church planters. But I'm going to start with youth ministry and early kid development and schools because if we disciple them through that and they get to be in college and they're disciple and they've seen it, they're ready to go. So we need to start to think about the poly uh, approach needs a farm team, needs feelers out there. People need to know, hey, you're kind of good, but you, know, you need a little help. I know where to send you. Our fault. That's what I've been doing my whole life, right? If I, a youth group, I was a sponsor. If somebody came in wearing... Um, uh, anything like uh, a dog collar or like tattoos or inappropriate piercings. This is back, you know, in the 90s. They would say, you're Mark Ball. Have you met Mark Ball? You know, go talk to him. You look like you just went to a golf concert. Um, but, but the point being, right, is, is guys who are ready, guys who are, um, you know, coming out of college, you know, trained, uh, one of, or even in seminary, you know, that, they're, they could be great for the Petron model. Let's get that. Let's get them. We're going to probably meet people who are, for whatever reason, not enfranchised in that model. You know, maybe they dropped out of college. Maybe there was, you know, a problem home. Maybe there's an addiction. You're going to run into all kinds of people who are interested in doing God stuff, but are disqualified, at least temporarily, for some reason. And that's, that, that's my particular ministry. Now, William didn't find it. William is William. He got calls from Northwestern. But the guys who graduate Rice don't call me yet, right? Um, but, but for whatever reason, I think what we'll find a lot of times is that there's a reason why they're, they're right now in the early days. What we hope is that actually later, really strong leaders will be able to identify, oh, I'm a Petron guy, I'm a Pauline guy. I don't, you know, we're not getting, we're not getting just people who couldn't make it the other way. But I do have a sense that right now, that's who we'll get more of. Just typically. They don't just, I, you know, I've never got my degree. But I, I spend, a, you know, 100 hours a month reading theology, and I got a group of people, and I'm discipling them, what can I do? And so instead of saying to them, hey, why don't you go get your degree and spend the next three years in night school, and then another four years over here, and then we'll use you some. Right? Let's use it now. Let's find a way. If, it's, if that's the right thing. So, so that's, that's one of the things. If we're thinking about farm team, building some opportunities to meet people, just letting people know, hey, we're open to this. 
Thinking about planting a church? Let's, let's go. Um, my hope is we will rope in some evangelical church planters who went to Bible school but, but weren't formed in the full life of the church. Got some gifts, got some energy, but they're like, you know what, I, but I want more. I actually do want to be under accountability. I actually do want friends when I plant a church. Because right? here's the thing. We, this is the, we cannot think of the Anglican church as a boutique reality. This is one of the problems in the old days. We thought there were only so many Anglicans, only some people who would do it this way. But that, what we're saying about it is that we're not living out the faith once handed down, but that we're just looking for the kind of people who like this sort of niche thing. But, but we need to recognize that we actually, if, unless, we, unless we don't have the faith once handed down, then we should switch to it. But if this is the faith once handed down, all the things we do sacramentally and, and, and being together as a church, all those should become things people want when they get disciples. So I can meet an evangelical and know, like, you may, you may not know you need this, right? But let me tell you about the life they take. You may be afraid of this because of the experience you have with Rome or whatever, but let me tell you what it really means and why we do what we do. And, and that, that discipleship. So you, you will probably find people that, for whatever reason, are just, there's, there's, a, there's something that's stopping them from doing it the other way, um, but, but we can help them walk through that. We can disciple them. So I will tell you this, for every, the only way to do a, a, a Pauline uh, uh, church planting is with an absolute commitment to disciple the people that come to you. I say that with no, no disrespect to Petron. But some Petron guys can show up ready to go. They really can. I can be just say I had great disciples growing up. You will likely not find that in the Pauline world. Okay. Um, so the, there's going to be work involved, mentoring involved. It's going to have to happen. It's going to count time. It's going to have to be given. Uh, and sometimes you're going to be the one, you know, like, people come to me and I say, I'm going to be the one to tell you the hardest things you've ever heard your whole life. That no one ever shared with you. Right? That could, you could, you, I could end up, you could end up not liking me because I had to be the one to say no or this or hey, you got, this is a problem. So a willingness to lay our lives down in that way um, in that particular way, right, is, is a Pauline, uh, um, I think, reality. Uh, and then that's why it's so helpful to have a group, because other people can say some of those things. There's lots of wonderful things I let Jason tell people. Um, and I, I had a heavy hammer, right? I recognize my role as director is that I really don't want to use the heavy hammer every time I talk to somebody. So I let, raise up other leaders, right? So what's happening is I'm discipling Jason and how to disciple people at this level. I'm, 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 I'm just saying he's a, he's a this still does not wear shoes at church, okay? I don't make him. Someday God will, will change his heart and he'll wear shoes. Uh, maybe he won't. But uh, the point is, is I'm training him as a future rector. He's not even ordained yet. But I know I see that gifting. So he's having those hard conversations now. And I only have to have the really hard ones, right? Um, and so this model of handing down this apprenticeship, this farm team kind of approach, is I need a way into the whole process. That can be through great childhood programs at wonderful Petrine churches. Um, you know, the relationship between Red, uh, is it Res in, in Wheaton? It's for, is it Redeemer? Church of Res. And Redeemer, er, in, in, um, in Wheaton, some of the people that come into Greenhouse came through there. They, they, they were attracted by this wonderful, beautiful church as college students, and they heard a little bit about what's going on there with multicultural and this, and helping with Latinos, and 
doing stuff in Africa, and they were like, yeah, that's me, right? So they came over, very well discipled, uh, ready to go, but, but I think um, that, uh, I got a little sidetracked on that one, um, that the, the key there is that we're going to raise those people up and start to fill holes in the gap. Farm teams need to be regional, right? So you start to think about this whole area as, you know, guys who were in Austin have family in San Antonio. They're going to move back. So let's get some discipleship, South Austin. When they move back, let's hand them over to so-and-so and, and say, hey, you know, it seems like they might be good for planning right now. Or, hey, let's get them to seminary. Let's, whatever it is. Um, build a farm team. Right, is that time? Is that what that means? Okay, great. Oh, well, I don't know if I have much, but yeah, so yeah, let's take a break. It's noon. Uh, and if you want me to talk more, I can or do more Q&A. Uh, again, I could go probably all day. You don't need that. So let's break. Let's use the restroom. The Lord be with you. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you for um, 